And if you're going to stay with us, let's get the book of Daniel chapter 2. And we, uh, we made a run at finishing the chapter last week, but didn't quite make it. So at the end of Daniel 2, verse number 46, is where we'll begin. Just a few things to say to wrap up this chapter. <clears throat> we looked last week at the presentation and the explanation of the revelation. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And now today we're going to look at the exaltation due to the revelation. So Daniel is now, and his friends, are going to be exalted to positions of authority. Verse number 46, the Bible says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped who? He worshipped Daniel. Do you see that? Immediately we have a problem. That should raise a red flag. The king fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Now verse 47, let's read it along with it because if you're Daniel, please bear in mind you're a, a teenager. Maybe at most in his young 20s, but I'm going to say he's right around 17, 18 years old. And there is the king of the then known world. It's not as if you can interrupt him without consequences. So please understand, I, I condemn that Daniel allowed the king to worship him. That was a mistake. But in that circumstance, you're a young man. He's the king. He has authority to put you to death if you speak up at the wrong time. So I think we should cut Daniel a little bit of slack, but still let's, let's call a spade a spade. What he did was, was wrong. Verse 47, the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. So if you're Daniel standing there, God has just answered this prayer, you have this great revelation, the king is on board with it and says, thank you so much, and it all happens so fast. The king turns to his servants and says, bring oblations, bring sweet offering, let's give these things unto Daniel. And he's, it's all happening so quickly. Then he turns to Daniel and says, your God is a God of gods. Well, that's right. So do, do I stop him? Do I let him go on and finish his statement? And maybe I correct him later. So when Daniel allows Nebuchadnezzar to worship him, you know how life is. In hindsight, you look back and you go, you know what? I wish I would have spoken up there. I wish I would have said something. And maybe Daniel looks back at that and says, you know, I probably should have said something. And maybe later on he did, maybe. But under the circumstance, wrong. But I, I, I understand why this might have been a tough spot for him. Now take your Bible, hold this, and get Acts chapter 10. Let's look at a couple other men who met with a similar circumstance and handled it spot on. Now again, let me point out, as you find Acts chapter 10 verse 25, Daniel an older teenager dealing with the king of the then known world, that's, that's one scenario. What we're going to look at is Peter and Cornelius. That's not the same thing as a subject to a king, okay? So that, that does add another dynamic that you have to consider. But Acts 10 verse 25. Again, I'm not trying to justify anything Daniel did or didn't do. I'm just trying to paint the picture as it was. So Peter is, has gone to see Cornelius. And it says in verse 25, And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Well, now, if Peter is the first pope, 
as the Roman church would have us believe, then there's nothing wrong with this. Because even to this day, they fall down at the feet of the Pope. There's a statue of Peter over there in Rome, and all the Catholics that pass by kiss the toes of that statue. And, and I do not know how many times, but multiple times, they have had to recast the stones of that, or the uh, toes of that statue because they have literally kissed them away. So many people have kissed it. Look what, look what the real Peter did. Verse 26, but Peter took him saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. Now, he didn't come down really hard on Cornelius. He understands this guy's a, a heathen, he's a Gentile, he's, he's not familiar with how to act under such circumstances. But still, Peter set the record straight. Uh, look at Acts 14, verse number 13. Acts 14 and verse 13. All right, the similar situation. Paul and Barnabas have gone out on their first missionary journey, and they've ventured off into Gentile territory that has never heard the gospel. Verse number 13. Now, there was a miracle that took place, and now this is how these Gentiles, these pagans, responded. Then the priest of Jupiter which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gate and would have done sacrifice with the people. They were going to sacrifice these things unto Paul and Barnabas. They were worshiping them, you can see in verse 12. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. So this goes back into ancient pagan mythology. They thought the gods have come down and now they were going to sacrifice to them. Verse 14, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So you see the reaction. And, and if I might just point one thing out in verse 15, we also are men of like passions with you. Here's Paul, who is, I think the modern term would be civilized. He was raised in a, in a fairly urban city, well-educated. Here's these Gentiles that have the exact opposite background. And Paul said, when it comes to our passions, desires, temptations, lust, we're on the same ground doesn't matter your culture where you came from we all struggle with sin and just wrong desires which which shows the universal need for a savior but come back to Daniel 2 so that's the right way to handle such a situation and if Daniel had to go back and do it again he probably would handle it differently and I would say better but as a man myself a man of like passions me as an older teenager I don't know if I would have done any better than Daniel right so verse number 48, Daniel 2, 48. It says here, Then the king made Daniel a great man. Now great not morally or spiritually, great as in power. He gave him a high position and many riches, as you can see. Gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. All right, so Daniel has received a promotion at his job. He was already a wise man, considered one of the wise men there in Babylon, but now he gets promoted up in 
just he's part of the king's inner circle, the cabinet, if you will. Be careful here. Don't take this as a promise that if I walk with God, I will receive a promotion at work. All right, be careful. You walk with God whether you get promoted or lose your job. But in this case, it's not so much that Daniel, my walk with God, got me a promotion. What the king is impressed with is, yes, Daniel has a connection with the God of gods. So that's a good guy to keep close to you. You want him in your inner cabinet. But also, Daniel was a man of exceptional character. Because all the other astrologers, magicians, soothsayers, all of those guys were ready to tell the king what the king wanted to hear. Remember that early on in Daniel 2? You guys are just buying time so you can come up with a, a good story that I'll believe. And here's a man that said, no, no, king, you know what? Give me a few minutes, days, whatever. Let me go pray about it and then I'll bring you some truth. And I'll tell you something, even if you don't want to hear it, I'll say it. You're the head of gold and you're going to be destroyed. Right? I mean, you're taking a chance saying that to the king. You're the king, but you're going down. Okay, here's a guy who's not a yes man. He's not going to tell me what I want to hear. He's going to tell me the truth. And he stands on his convictions. And I believe that, that is the key thing that pushed Daniel forward in life. So, whether or not you get promoted in, in society or at your job, leave that, leave that up to the Lord, right? And up to your boss. Whether you get promoted or not, you just do what's right. Be a man of character. Be a man of substance. Let your yea be yea. Stand up and say the truth and let the consequences come as they may. Verse 49, Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now in the gate, that was the entrance into the city, all of the top-level officials of that kingdom would sit in the gate that's where you made massive decisions. That's where people, you know, round table kind of stuff where you talk about the affairs of, of the province, of the kingdom. So Daniel's in that upper echelon, but Daniel is now asked a favor, and, and rightfully so. King, it wasn't me only. I wasn't the only one in that prayer meeting. These three guys also, they were in that prayer closet with me, helping me get a hold of God. So can we not also move them up? And there, there they were promoted. All right, so that very well sets the stage for chapter 3. We needed that information in verse 48 and 49 so that we can understand and appreciate the sacrifice that those three young men make in chapter 3. So moving into chapter 3 now, let me give you the outline for a bit of this chapter. Verses 1 to, well, for the chapter. Verses 1 to 7, I'm going to call this theater to threat. We go from theater to threat. Verses 8 to 18, perseverance to persecution perseverance to persecution verses 19 to 30 rage to reverence rage to reverence all right let's dig in chapter 3 verse 1 theater to threat Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image oh it's gonna get better from here I promise Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So a couple of notes perhaps on this image. Usually when the word image is used, it's referring to the, a human image. Now it is a statue, but it is a statue shaped 
in the form of a human being. So you could make a statue perhaps of an eagle or a, a cheetah or some other animal, right? But usually the word image refers to a human form of some sort. That, that's not an exact science, but I think, and, and many people do, that we think Nebuchadnezzar made a statue in, to honor himself. Now, other people think it might have been some other shape. And help yourself, that, that part is really not important. But this image of gold, maybe it was inspired by chapter 2 when Daniel said your dream was this image and you were the head of gold. So Daniel says, well, since I'm the head of gold, let's just start right there and let's make an image to commemorate how great I am because obviously, according to the God of gods, I am the best of all the earthly kingdoms. Until that stone comes to destroy it all, I'm the head of gold. So maybe that played into it. You know, there are a lot of people that take God's revelation, twist it to honor themselves. A lot of people will find a verse that makes themselves look good, but they have to twist it. And perhaps that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. Now, the size of it, three score cubits. A score is 20, right? That's old English. Three score is three times 20, so that's 60 cubits high, which in meters, that's 30 meters tall. Now, some of you engineers help me out. That ceiling, that high point is, where are we going to put that at? Maybe 10? Is 10 too high? I'd say 10-ish, right? So, so we, we got to go three of those, right? That building, another, another. That's 60, it's 30 meters tall. That's pretty good size. Some of you maybe have been to Nelson Mandela Square there in Santon Mall. You've seen that massive statue of Nelson Mandela. I don't know how high that is, but it's probably not that tall. So just to have an idea in your mind. And then it says six cubits broad or breadth. Uh, so this is like wide, both ways wide. You have to have a, a base there to hold this up. So that's three meters, three meters wide. So this is a fairly substantial structure. Right, verse number two, then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 3, then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Just as a side note, that little phrase, Nebuchadnezzar had set up or the king had set up, you'll find it seven times in the passage. Now, if you study your numbers in the Bible, you know that's a significant number. But I say, let's leave that on the side for now. Verses 2 and 3, what you have is a, a summit meeting or a summit conference. All the big shots, the political big shots, you know, they come out in their tuxedos and they're dressed in their best and they have the red carpet and they roll, you know, here comes so-and-so and they're coming down, the, you know, and presenting and, and they come making a big deal. You know what this really is. They're not doing anything. They are there to witness the unveiling of the image and bow down when the music plays to set a precedent that everybody under their control should do likewise, right? You follow the leader. What's really happening for these big shots, it's a paid day off. 
Let's all just get together from all, I mean, Babylon had a big empire. Let's all get together. You shake hands. Hey, man, haven't seen you in a while. What you been doing? How are things going on the other side of the empire? And they're not really doing anything. No decisions being made. Wow, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Something like parliament or something. (laughs) Where they all come together. Not a lot is happening. That's kind of what's going on here. But in any event, verse verse 4. Then in herald cried aloud, Okay, here's your messenger. He cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. So all the big shots have gathered, and for the first time they hear the instructions. That at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Right about then, if you're one of those big shots, you're looking around going, we got to do what now? When the music plays, we've got to fall down and worship. You know, most of them had no problem with that because most of them really didn't have much of a religious conviction. King, whatever you tell us to do, as long as we can keep our job, we'll do it. They're not even going to think twice about it. Okay, you, when the music plays, I bow down. Okay. You know how many Christians do the same thing when the worldly music begins to play? Just whatever the world wants to say. Okay, I'll just bow to that. Just as long as I, I am still accepted, as long as I'm still socially relevant, you know, the culture. Now, don't cancel me. I, I just want to be part of what's going on. So, yeah, I'll bow. Now, forgive me, I'm not going to take time to explain all the instruments mentioned there. I am not super familiar with them. I am very curious what a sack butt sounds like. Just because, yeah, <laughs> it's a sack butt. Uh, dulcimer, I have no idea. I have it in my head that it's some far eastern instrument that maybe, maybe, I I don't know. But in any event, there's your musical instruments. Verse 6, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Okay, well, in case there was anybody doubting, should I or should I not, okay, well, This is a no-brainer. I'm going to die if I don't. Verse 7, Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all the kinds of music, all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Let's say thousands. I'm not going to say hundreds. Thousands of people there before the image falling down as soon as the music starts. Again, maybe a side note, but you'll notice how music and worship do go together. And that's not just a Christian thing. That's not just a Bible thing. The world knows this. There's often music. There's a soundtrack to life. So I I say that only to point out, be careful what kind of music you have in the background of your life. The Bible says that we are to speak to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and that should drive us to bow down and fall down at the feet of our Savior, right? So be careful. The music is going to drive you to worship something. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has set it up. He has legislated his religious conviction. Agree with me or die. I want to stew that down to maybe a more relevant or practical thought. Are people allowed to disagree with you? Think about this. Nebuchadnezzar has now legislated. It's a law. You're not allowed to disagree with me. Not on this point. You can have a different favorite book. 
Maybe you like different food. But when it comes to worshiping this image, if you disagree with me, you die. Now, in your home, are people allowed to disagree with you without you losing your mind? See, it's okay to say, okay, have your opinion. But as soon as they voice it, how do you react to that? This piece of advice I try to give often. Create an environment that invites honesty. Whether that's your home, your marriage, your workplace, your church. Create an environment that invites honesty. And one of the surefire ways to remove honesty from the conversation is for you to be a hothead and say, if you stand up against my opinion or my convictions, then I'm dropping the hammer. I'm done with you. Be careful. We have a lot to learn from each other, especially when we disagree. Be, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It is not a sin to disagree. Okay? That's not a sin. And, and because we're human, we're all capable of fallibility. We can be wrong. So take time to listen to that other side, even though you are dead set sure on what you believe. Think deeper about this situation now, and I think you'll see how Nebuchadnezzar's uh, plan here lines up perfectly with what we have going on today. Nebuchadnezzar did not outlaw other religions. Did you notice that? He didn't say you can't be Jewish, you can't follow Zeus, you can't follow Jupiter. He didn't, he didn't say that. All he said was you cannot be exclusive. You, you have to involve my religion. You have to accept me. You cannot say that I'm wrong. If you wanted to be a Jew privately in your home, fine. But you cannot publicly take a stand against the king's religion. It's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar was a social justice warrior. <laughs> and what he is saying is forcing people under threat of legal action to accept him, respect him, and have no ill opinion of the way he thinks things are. Do you see the connection with how it might work today? A man stands up and says, I feel like I'm a woman. Okay? If, if you want to live in a fairy tale, you can believe that. Right? Have you ever seen little, little kids with their imagination? As they grow up, you know, they, they think, I'm, you know, I'm a chef. I'm, a, I'm the president. I'm a, I, they have all these things going through their mind. I'm a superhero. They try to jump off the roof. I can fly. No, I can't. No, I can't. Okay. You're, you're allowed to have imagination and think, you know, I am this other thing. Help yourself. Have you ever seen a little kid come around, woof, woof, acting like an animal? Right? They're just playing games. Okay. That's, a mad, that's, that's fairy tale land. Help yourself. But as soon as that child comes and says, Daddy, don't call me a boy, call me a dog. N no, my boot, you're not a dog. That's fun in games, but you're not really a dog. You're not allowed to sleep outside in the doghouse and eat that food. You can't do that. Come on now, amen. A you need to amen that. <laughs> you need to amen that. All right, now, if, they, if someone else wants to live in that imaginary world where they are an actual gender, that is a biological fact, but they say, no, 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 I'm actually something else. If you want to think that about yourself, help yourself. That's, that's on you. Don't force me to accept it. Don't force me to respect it. 
And my, by all means, don't force me, don't, don't threaten me with legal action if I say I think you're wrong. You've got to allow me to have that opinion as well, right? And, and I, I don't feel like I'm being mean or nasty by saying to that person, I'm sorry, but I think you're living in a fairy tale. I don't think that's reality. If you want to do it, help yourself. I will not threaten legal action. All I'm going to do is pray for that person and perhaps open a Bible and, and say, I think this is what's actually happening. <laughs> and, and try to offer some light on that situation. Nebuchadnezzar, though, it's his way or no other way. In his mind. But let, let me rephrase that. You have to accept my way at, at least. You have to include me. If you want to have some other way along with it, that's your business. But he wants that inclusion. Now, before we take a step further with this, Nebuchadnezzar is threatening to throw people into a fire if they don't agree with him. Who else does that? Can you think of anybody else in the Bible that does that? You guys help me out. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Depart from me, right? Ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So here we are saying Nebuchadnezzar is taking it too far simply because they won't fall down and worship but what about Jesus does he not do the same thing right Let, let's get this straight a, a distinction here Jesus is not saying you can have your own way but include me too big difference Jesus takes it way farther than Nebuchadnezzar and that's why I had to amend my statement a moment ago Jesus says it's me or no other way it, I, I am the way there is no other way to the father that's it. The exclusivity of Jesus is, is abundantly clear. And the audacity to say, if you don't believe that, you will burn in a lake of fire forever and ever. Boy, is that okay? Are we all right with that? If your name is Jesus, that's okay. And, and, and here's why. The almighty creator of the universe, the giver of life, and the ultimate judge, who is completely holy... He is allowed to make such a statement. No one else could. No one else could. So I am okay with the creator and giver of life, the standard maker and standard keeper. I am okay with him enforcing such a rule because the holiness of God demands a massive punishment against sin. So I'm okay with that. And, and for you and I, this is something that people have struggled with for nigh on 2,000 years, okay? This is not a new thing for people to consider to go, is it okay to throw people into a lake of fire, to cast them into that? Is that isn't that a bit too much? And certain Christian groups have actually done away with the doctrine of hell and an eternal punishment of suffering because they think that's just too harsh. And my answer to that is this, the reason we cannot understand why that's an appropriate punishment is because we have never been that holy. We wouldn't do that because we're guilty and we deserve that punishment. So obviously we're going to try to ratchet down the level of wrath. Battery again.
All right, so the holiness of God makes this perfectly legitimate, this type of punishment. But since we're not God, here's how we handle it. We persuade, we convince, we preach, we pray for sinners not to fall under the wrath of God. Just like John the Baptist, we warn them to flee from the wrath to come. But it is a righteous indignation that God is, is planning to pour out. Now, as we move on through the passage, Daniel 3, verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Now, why the Jews? They accused them as a, as a group. I, I can't help but think of modern-day political situations with this group identity stuff, you know. But it's, it's, it's all, if you read your Bible, guys, I know the book was written 2,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago in some places, but you're reading tomorrow's newspaper. <laughs> it's always relevant. They accused the Jews. Why? Because the Jews also had an exclusive religion. The Lord our God is one Lord. He, we don't serve any other gods. That was unique to the Jewish faith. Other pagan groups would allow, you know, like Hinduism, pick your God. So they said the Jews are a problem. They don't believe in including other things. Verse 9, they spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, cornet flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So let's make a distinction here. They accused the Jews as a group because the Jews had a high standard, an exclusive God, just Jehovah, only him. But only three of those Jews actually lived up to that. Think about that. The Jews have a rule, and that rule doesn't line up with our culture and our society. It doesn't line up with your command, O king, but only three of them are following that. Do you see how that might translate to Christianity? We, we have a Bible that gives us a standard of living. Let him that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Right? We could go on and on listing verses for how we should behave as disciples of Christ now. And maybe the world makes an accusation that says Christians are extremists and Christians take it too far and they think they're the only right way. And, they, and amen, that's what Christians should stand for. Now let's go find the Christians that actually live up to that. They accused an entire people group and only found three. I wonder how that ratio would work amongst the body of Christ, where we find people actually making an effort. Now, nobody's going to be able to keep it, you know, all the time. I get that. But actually making an effort to live according to the New Testament. Only three. Now, I'm going to step into a different <clears throat> aspect of this. Hold your place here and get Revelation 3. Sorry, Revelation 13. Revelation 13. I, I've, I'll return to that practical thought momentarily. But I want to show you the prophetical aspect of this. Revelation 13, verse 15. We cannot 
miss what we're reading here in Daniel 3. It is a wonderful picture, a prophetical picture of what the Antichrist will do to the followers of God in the end times. The people that are standing for the true God, that exclusive God, they are going to face a fiery persecution from the Antichrist. Now in the end times, we're going to have the Antichrist who's going to run the world. He will have a a, a right-hand man, and the Bible calls him the false prophet. And in this passage, we're working about, or reading about how the false prophet has done miracles and he's causing the world to worship the beast. All right, now verse 15, and he, the false prophet, had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that, uh, that the image of the beast, beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Do you see the connection? Right away. Verse 16, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. As I got to thinking about this, in that tribulation time, right after the rapture, you enter into this, this time that you're reading about, I think you would be allowed to believe in Jesus Christ as long as you don't do anything about it publicly. Publicly, you have to take the mark, the name, or the number, and publicly, you have to go along with the Antichrist and his empire. If you don't, you will be persecuted. You can be killed, you can be hunted, beheaded, several different ways to die. But that is where we are heading as a society. We must bow down to this government slash religion, this state religion. Now, lest you think that that's something far off in the future, look at 1 John chapter 4. Such a situation has manifested itself time and again in the last 2,000 years. As we press towards these end times, it's going to get worse and worse in that way. 1 John 4 verse 3 And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So the Bible says in another place, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's been working since the days of Paul. So what you're going to see in society, in the world, in the secular, is this push towards this all-inclusiveness, but eventually the Antichrist will rise up and say, believe whatever you want as long as I'm at the top of it. As long as you bow down to my image as the chief image. Um, If you would, take your Bible, come to Acts chapter 5. While you're in the New Testament, get Acts chapter 5. And then we'll look back at Daniel. All right, so you have Acts 5. We'll be there in verse 40 in just a moment. But look back at Daniel chapter 2. And verse number, or Daniel 3, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, Daniel 3, verse number 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? 
Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, that'd be good enough. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? All right. Nebuchadnezzar, you started it. He just threw down a challenge to the creator of the universe. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you want to go down that path. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. <laughs> they said, King, we don't even have to think about this. We don't even need to pray about this. We're just going to run right into our answer here because we know exactly what to tell you. Verse 17. If it be so... Right? If, if that's what's going to happen to us. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Amen. God can get us out of anything. Even your hands, O king. There they are. That's a stand. Man, that's taking a stand. Verse 18. Here's the sacrifice. There's a stand and then there's... If you're going to take the stand, be ready to make the sacrifice. Don't take the stand and then when somebody comes at you for taking the stand, run home crying. Take the stand and be ready for the sacrifice. Verse 18, but if not, if God doesn't get us out of this, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So king, here we stand. Do, do your best, do your worst. You know where to find us. We're standing right here. Everybody else is bowing down. The music's been playing, they're bowing down. What are you guys doing? Get down, get down, get down. No, I'm not getting down. But everybody else is doing it. Yeah, we can see that. Looks pretty pathetic. <laughs> you ought to get up. Stand and having done all, stand. Why are you all on the ground? This, this, this is a, this is a wonderful picture of what a Christian ought to be doing when it comes to the world. They want to fall down, okay but I'm not falling down. The most unpopular thing you can do as a Christian these days is take a stand. Workplace, school, doesn't matter. In a lot of churches as well. We just, we want to put it out there to say, what, what I think, what I feel, this is what I think. But you're allowed to think what you, you have your truth. I have my truth. Yeah, but Jesus is the truth. <laughs> and we're, we're not afraid to stand on the truth. I know there are some gray areas, but come on, when it's black and white, let's call it that way. And let's stand on those issues. There have been many times throughout the history of the Bible, you find people making challenges against the God of the universe. Pharaoh did it with Moses, right? Bring out the magicians. If you guys can do a miracle, my guys can do it too. You know how that turned out? The magician said, no, no, sorry. We're backing off. That's the finger of God. We lose. <laughs> we forfeit. Elijah did it against 450 prophets of Baal. He called down fire and turned them into a nonprofit organization. <laughs> you, if you want to challenge God, okay. I mean, this is how he works. Dagon, you put the Ark of the Covenant in the same building with Dagon, the fish god, you're going to wake up the next morning and fall the, find Dagon bowing down to the Ark. And you can set him back up in his place, but the next day you'll find the statue Dagon running for the door with his hands broken off because he couldn't get out fast enough. <laughs> you can challenge if you want. Have you read about the challenge with Micaiah? 
and Ahab, King Ahab, in 1 Kings chapter 22. This man never says anything good about me. He hates me. And Micaiah said, King, listen, I've had the Lord shown me. You're going down. Zedekiah the prophet steps out, slaps Micaiah right upside the face and said, which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? And Micaiah, I I can see it in my mind, he kind of grins at him, says, we'll see when you're all chained up which way the spirit of the Lord went. (laughs) I like that. Something about that, to to me, that that just revs my engine. We read it in the book of Daniel with Darius. Sign it into law. You can't pray to anybody for 30 days but to the king. Daniel says, we'll see about that. Where are you going, Daniel? Going home to pray. (laughs) You know where to find me. I'll be in the house with the window open three times a day, praying where I should. And off to the lion's den. And the next morning, there's Darius at at the mouth of the lion's den going, are you okay, Daniel? Are you okay? You can challenge the Lord, but he'll come out on top. You read about Jeremiah and Hananiah. Have you read that part in the book of Jeremiah? Hananiah, Jeremiah has a wooden yoke that he's wearing. God told him to wear a wooden yoke like an ox as, as, a, as a sign to Israel. Hananiah takes it off and breaks it. God says, you think you've undone my prophecy because you broke the yoke? Jeremiah, go get an iron yoke and put it on. <laughs> you guys that like to wear that jewelry, you know. <laughs> There's a verse for you. Jeremiah put an iron yoke on. He says, you're not going to outdo me. You can break it. You can try to break it all you want, but you're just making it even tougher <laughs> on yourself. And then we see Jesus standing against Herod, against Pilate, against the Pharisees, against the Sadducees, and against all of your sins and mine. You say, there, there he is hanging on the cross. We win. There he is buried in the tomb three days. We win. Oh, just wait. Because early Sunday morning he comes up and says, you can't challenge me. I have the keys of death and hell. I'm alive forevermore. And I love how he finishes that, amen. <laughs> he just says, amen. So in Acts chapter 5, let me just show you this in closing here. Acts 5 and verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Listen, folks, the world will allow you to be a silent Christian. You're allowed to be a Christian in your heart, believe whatever you want, but do not talk about it. Do not try to preach it to anyone else. Don't try to convert anybody. Just stay quiet, stay hidden, hide your light. That's the command. Don't speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The reason this early church faced so much persecution is because they would not keep their faith private. They lived it out publicly and they proclaimed it. They spoke up about it. Many years ago, there was a disciple of the Apostle John named Polycarp. Polycarp would eventually be put to death in the latter half of the second century. When the Roman government arrested him, many of them, as they dragged him out of the cart into the Colosseum, towards the Colosseum, they said, listen, you're an old man. He was 86 years old. You're an old man. Don't die like this. They were going to burn him at the stake in the middle of the Colosseum. Don't die like this. Just confess that Caesar is Lord. 
Kaiser is curios. Just confess it. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather die. They brought him into the middle of that Colosseum with all the people there ready to cheer and chant as he was burning. And, and another Roman soldier walked over to him and said, listen, Polycarp, we like you. You're a good guy. Just, just proclaim that Caesar is Lord and say, down with the atheist. Talking about Christians, because Christians used to be thought of as atheists because we rejected all the Roman gods. So he said, just say down with the atheist and we'll let you go home and die a natural death. Polycarp paused for a moment, looked up at the crowd, and did it with his hand. He motioned like this to the crowd and he said, down with the atheist. Down with the atheist. They said, would you please stop being so stubborn? We don't want to kill you. Polycarp's famous response was, 80 and 6 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And with that, they tied him up, they lit the fire, and the fire didn't touch him. It burned around him. Do you know how Daniel 3 ends? With three guys in a fire and the fire doesn't touch them. So we'll pick that up next week. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for allowing us to go through these things today. And some of it deep, some of it prophetical, some of it applies in our present uh, generation. And the things we see happening in politics and in the world around us. But Lord, most of all, help us to walk away with these practical thoughts, to take the stand. Regardless of the consequence, we know that you're worth it. You've never done us wrong. Help us, Lord, having done all to stand. Bless our fellowship, please, in the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen.